I am Gunnery Sergeant Hartman, your senior drill instructor. From now on, you will speak only when spoken to. And the first and last words out of your filthy sewers will be, sir. Do you maggots understand that? Sir, yes, sir. Bullshit, I can't hear you. Sound off like you got a pair. Sir, yes, sir. If you ladies leave my island, if you survive recruit training, you will be a weapon. You will be a minister of death praying for war. But until that day, you are pukes. You are the lowest form of life on earth. You are not even human fucking beings. You are nothing but unorganized, grabastic pieces of amphibian shit. Because I am hard, you will not like me. But the more you hate me, the more you will learn. I am hard, but I am fair. There is no racial bigotry here. Here you are all equally worthless. And my orders are to weed out all non-hackers who do not pack the gear to serve in my beloved car. Do you maggots understand that? Sir, yes, sir. Bullshit, I can't hear you. Sir, yes, sir. Horror has a face, and you must make a friend of horror. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent, here with Kevin, Kat, and Dave. Hey, guys. Hello. How's it going? I'm good. This week, this means war. We're talking about what I think of as warrior movies. <laughs> yes. It's hard to say. I've been practicing all day <laughs> how to say warrior. Um, that is when you take the, uh, the standard, uh, of which there are many varieties, the tried, true, and tested war movie, and... You drop in some zombies, some vampires, some werewolves, some humanoid Nazi soldiers, whatever it is, and you take what already works, and you um, just put the chocolate in the peanut butter, the peanut butter Mm. in the chocolate. I'm a big fan of this type of stuff. I think it's always uh, a potent blend uh, when you do the war. So we have a couple picks this week. It's uh, Kevin and Dave's week, and you guys supplied us with a couple uh, of these movies. What do you got for us, Dave? I picked the movie Overlord. Directed by Julius Avery, uh, produced by J.J. Abrams, who I feel like got, like got way too much credit for this movie um, because yes. uh, the direction of Julius Avery is amazing. Um, it's on the eve of D-Day, World War II, uh, American paratroopers drop behind enemy lines to uh, destroy a radio transmitting tower uh, in France during uh, like the Nazis invading. So um, they go there for this mission. Their plane gets shot down. They end up uh, having a harrowing skydive uh, into a battle zone. And then uh, they find these government zombies um, that are, um, they have a serum that they're putting in their dead soldiers and making them reincarnated, uh, reanimator style um, to do their bidding. And uh, it's one of my, uh, favorite movies of this genre for sure. It's like really over the top. It's a straight up action movie. Um, and it has all the tropes of action movies. Um, and it's very basic, but I feel like the effect of it and the brutal violence makes it stand out. Um, I love this movie. What'd you guys think? 
I'm a big fan of this one. I saw this at the theater when it came out, and it didn't really make much of an imprint. I don't think it really made any money, and it was kind of below the radar. But I thought this was a, a very solid, very capable, very well done, well made, and effective you know, genre, straight up genre mashup horror movie. Um, it is definitely a little bit action. Um, I'm a big fan of this one. I thought it was very good. I loved the line, the thousand year Reich needs thousand year soldiers. Uh, right away in the beginning, I liked you have the, um, the paratroopers from the plane. They're like hanging from the trees, classic like war imagery. Um, and then as you get further in to the story, you, you end up in the little French town, occupied French town, and you have to take a house and you have the resident of the house. Uh, the character's name is Chloe. There aren't really a, not a lot of star power in this. There was a guy that drove me crazy for the entire movie because I was 100% sure the character uh, Tibet or Tibet, I, I thought for yeah, sure. What's that? John Magaro. Yeah, okay. I thought the whole time he like I couldn't remember where I knew him from as a child actor. And then um I was like racking my brain and I thought it was the kid from Doogie Hauser. Mm. Doogie Hauser's Italian friend or whatever in that. Right. He looks exactly I, I like I thought him. I I was googling him too right as soon as the movie started. Yeah, so it's not the kid from Doogie Hauser though. It's a different <laughs> guy, but if you could picture an older kid from Doogie Hauser that, that would be him. Um, that's about all the star power, really. I didn't recognize any of the players in this, but this is a great one. Straight down the line, quality watch. Kevin, what did you think? You didn't recognize Wyatt Russell, son of Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn? No, <gasps> I didn't know that that was... Wow. Uh, wow, the last name didn't even, didn't even occur to me. Yeah, so like the sort of de facto captain there. Um, after yeah, the, yeah. they crash and, and a lot Four. of the people that you meet briefly in the beginning in the plane do not make it much past the first five minutes of the movie. But Wyatt Russell, he looks, once you know he's Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn's son, you're like, holy shit, that makes sense. Uh, wow, he was I can't just believe I missed in, that. Uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, a great Marvel, a great Marvel series that they did. But yes. uh, I love this movie and I, I've seen this, it came out in 2018, but I've, I've somehow watched Overlord like five or six times. And this time, you know, looking it up and seeing some of the reviews, because it, it's better reviewed now. When it first came out, a lot of kind of the high-profile reviews did not really love it. The audience was not sold. $38 million budget. It only made 42 at the box office. Way too much hype around J.J. Abrams. And then I feel like they sort of did, like, the, the shitty thing where they were trying to pretend like it was going to be a Cloverfield universe movie, and people were freaking out. Um, and then Abrams was just like, he poo-pooed on that and was like, no, this is not... This is not in the Cloverfield universe. Um, but I was watching it this time. It almost feels like it could have been like a Tales from the Crypt or like a creep show presents Overlord when you start to see like how over the top it is. Because, yeah, it is action and it is a, a, a warrior movie, Trent, to steal your, your, uh, your word. But it's so fucking hard. There's so much gore in this, and there's so just great monsters. Um, they did almost all of the effects practically. The only CGI that I could really pick out, other than some blood, was when the asshole at the end just won't die and he climbs back out of the pit. Um, that was pretty clearly CGI. Still looked cool. Um, but I, I love this. You know, you have like the reanimator serum, uh, lots of nods, I think, to classic horror in this. Lots of gore, not a ton of star power, like Trent said. However, still a bunch of good up-and-coming actors that we have seen and will see. You know, uh, Jovan Adepo, he plays uh, Bryce. 
And he was just in the, the miniseries The Stand, which I enjoyed. Wyatt Russell, like I mentioned, still not a ton on there. Um, and then Captain Waffner, the big bad guy there. Uh, Pilu Asbake, no clue if I'm saying that right. Uh, he was Euron Greyjoy in G- Game of Thrones. In fact, if you like Game of Thrones, you're going to like Overlord because there's like fucking five people from Game of Thrones that pop up in this movie. Um, but I, I, I'm a big fan of this. I think this is definitely headed towards cult classic status. Kat, what did you think? Did you watch the right Overlord? And did you like it? I did. Um, so was this a remake? Because no. it was, it kind of, th- I think it was. I think there was a 1970s version of this movie. Because the synopsis looked very similar, but I did watch the correct one, and I thought it was really fun. I thought it was definitely a fun watch. I'm not going to lie, I'm not super into, like, war period piece, you know, movies. So, when it first started, I was kind of just like, what's this going to be like? But, um, obviously, it took a turn, and there was a lot more of the spooky oomph uh, that I was looking for, and it was great. A lot of handsome boys uh, running around fighting Nazis and zombies. So that was fun for me to watch. Uh, That was really nice. There's definitely some horrifying parts like the scene when we first get to the lab and you see the subjects down there. I just want to mention that uh, floating head lady. uh, She really fucked me up Mm. for sure. Speaking French. Spine out. I had to. I had to take a second for that one. I definitely exclaimed very loudly alone in my apartment. Um, So that will haunt me for a little while, probably. But I thought it was an interesting story. Definitely some inspiration taking from the real life horrors that the shitty Nazis did. uh, But with a little spooky twist on there. Uh, Lots of violence. Some tender moments. I teared up when, um, I can't remember his name, the photographer guy. That was an emotional moment when he Mm, was like, I'm out. He's like, where's my camera? I'm like, all right. I died, teared up a little bit. Um, but yeah, and then just like a bunch of gore, just superhumans running around. I just thought it was a really fun watch for Cat, and it was a it was a good week. Um, this does the thing that we've talked about uh, when we talked about The Descent, and I thought that um, The Abyss did this thing as well, where the movie is its own movie without the horror element. It, it like takes It doesn't really even take the horror turn until almost an hour into it. So you're, you already have like a compelling sort of action war movie on its own. It's already fully underway that has its own drama and its own conflicts and, uh, and its own story. And then you get, you know, 45 minutes, an hour, and then boom, you're into horror town. And I still can't believe that I missed Russell uh, <laughs> following in his father's footsteps. This is no the thing, but hey, mm. it's pretty good. It's great. I, the opening sequence when they're, uh, they have to get out of the plane is very intense and very mm-hmm. well done. Like, I love a uh, good plane crash scene. And we also had a great meat hook scene, oh. which I love the good meat hook scene. Sure, sure. <laughs> and, uh, when he's pulling himself off of it. Yes. Oh, my God. Nope. Movie's a lot longer than I remember it being. I mean, I, I don't remember Overlord touching close to two hours, but... It's interesting how they how they try to cram so much out so much uh, action in and so much gore in, but you you still got to like develop these characters. And I realize they quickly pare them down to a smaller crew, but it's interesting in watching um, the character development because Bryce is kind of I think the main character here, even more so than uh, than Wyatt Russell's character. 
and nobody really likes him. He's a big softy. He wouldn't even kill a mouse. And they all got in trouble and had to run up hills because the mouse was shitting on the captain's bed. Uh, I liked watching his relationship develop with Wyatt Russell, and he sort of, you know, starts to stand up to him. Obviously, Bryce has a big crush on Chloe, has all the feels for her. But I especially love uh, Tibbet's relationship with basically everybody, including Bryce. Like, Tibbet's such a prick th- through this entire movie, yet somehow you still like him and you're still rooting for him. Uh, and his relationship with Paul, with Chloe's little brother, uh, was a nice touch, I thought, in terms of, of character development. I'm not saying they hit it out of the park because, like I already said, they had to leave a lot of time for action, a lot of time for horror. But it is fun, and it is kind of fun to watch, you know, an American movie without huge star power uh, so that you can just kind of have fun with the character development or just turn your brain off completely and be like, wow, this is really gross. Tibbetts is the classic, like, uh, old-school New York City Italian guy. Yeah, super like, hey. I feel like Yeah, he's hey. like, you know, that's like the drummer of the whole thing. <laughs> you know, I'm very familiar with that character type. Uh, in real life, yeah, that's that's his thing. Um, this is directed by Julius Avery, but it was written by a, a pair of co-writers, a guy named Billy Ray and a guy named Mark Smith. Mark Smith wrote Vacancy, which mm. is an almost good movie. I don't I I like, like it. I like, I like Vacancy. Vacancy. I like, I like it. Vacancy. I liked it the first time a lot, and then I watched it with some other people on my recommendation, and mm. everybody hated it, and I was like, eh, maybe this oh. isn't that good. But he also <laughs> um, wrote um, the Martyrs remake, the American Martyrs Boo. remake. Boo. Wasn't bad. Boo. Wasn't bad. I'm not. Not terrible. It's fine. It's not terrible. Um, it's and terrible. He wrote the Revenant. So terrible. there, there is some uh, some pedigree here. It's not terrible. I really don't remember the the American. Back Martyrs. to this movie, uh, Cap Captain Waffner was one of the best villains ever, mm. especially when he got uh, his face shot half off, mm. and he had like the half grin. A Harvey Dent, yeah, 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 yeah Harvey Dent vibes, yeah, big time. <laughs> um, but he was he was a really good bad guy. Uh, he could have been uh, superimposed in Inglorious Bastards, and I would have believed it. It was like very similar vibe to the the milk guzzling uh, Nazi. And <laughs> yeah, he's great. But Trent, you're, you're, like these writers are interesting. I think you were probably going down a road where Mark L. Smith wrote a pretty surprising movie that got a lot of uh, Oscar. I think. I think, didn't Leo win the Oscar for, for The Revenant? Finally, yes. Well, as a fan of violence, uh, I've watched the YouTube clip of the bear mauling in Revenant <laughs> so many times. I love it. Doesn't he get more than mauled by the bear? He gets I mauled and you think he gets was... away and then the bear comes back and mauls him some more. And it's very realistic. It's some great CGI, which, I mean, I can't uh, overstate the jumping out of the plane in the beginning is it's borderline it's so like cg cgi'd and affected and everything but they do it perfectly and it's it, he lands in the water with a parachute above him and it, it looks like a jellyfish it's all very cinematic and this movie is very beautiful even though it's very savage uh and it's the plot is very basic it almost reminds me of like a uh, like Skull Island or something. Like, mm-hmm. Yes. Um, like it's very, f- like there's a formula for sure. Yeah, and it also has a Guillermo del Toro feel to it because it it takes place in this little French villa. Um, I got a lot of Inglorious Bastard vibes. Oh, for sure. From this. Um, the opening speech when they're in the plane and the commander gives the speech about the Nazis, very Brad Pitt, 
Nazi speech at the beginning of that. So unavoidable comparisons there, I think. Yeah, I was bummed that that guy died so quickly because he's actually, he's a good actor. He's been in, he was in a a season of Fargo and he was super good in that. And then I think he's been in some Marvel movies too, but I just love him. I was, I was hoping that he would stick around for longer than he did, but. And, And the guy that looks like a slightly bloated Dave Chappelle is in this. That's that guy. Yeah, that's, that's what Kat's talking about. Uh, <laughs> I thought that the Nazi uh, commander, Waffner, um, that you were just talking about was in Game of Thrones. I'm not familiar with him, but he had like strong Michael Shannon vibes. You guys know mm-hmm. Michael Shannon? Good call. Yeah, that's yeah. why I thought Guillermo del Toro, because I was thinking Shape of Water. He reminded me of Michael yeah. Shannon in that. I, I almost had to look twice and make sure it wasn't just a disguised Michael Shannon. Yeah, that makeup was amazing. I, I That's one of my favorite bad guys from from recent horror movies for sure. It's weird. I I didn't looking it up real quick. I didn't realize Inglorious Bastards came out all the way back in two thousand and nine. I thought that these movies like might have come out around the same time, and maybe that's why Overlord suffered because you know I think Inglorious Bastards overall is a superior movie. But it's so weird how fast time goes by. I, I thought that like I would have looked know it if up. It is Inglorious would have been like two thousand sixteen. I think I prefer this movie. I think that this movie is seriously underrated. I think it's a good basic movie, like uh, sit down with a bunch of people and watch a movie that's good for like shock value. It's got a story. It's got good characters. The acting never like it's like jumps out as being either bad nor good. It's just suitable for the movie. Great transformation scene when one of the American soldiers yes. ends up getting the serum mm. that the Nazis are using to build these uh, humanoid super soldiers. Uh, it's almost like your like werewolf transformation scene. I kind of remembered this as being like a, a werewolf movie. It's not, but it has that sort of element where the guy is <sighs> taking the serum and now he's transforming into the, uh, the superhuman. Well, I thought that was like Kat talking about how sad it was the first half of that sequence. I think when they give him the serum and he wakes up, that's even sadder. Like that actually pulled at my heartstrings even more because I was like, this poor bastard. Because you know you got to kill him. It's like a zombie almost. Yeah. You know, like you know you got to kill him eventually. And he still is cognizant and he's still responding like a human as he's transforming. So he's, you know, he's changing and his like neck is bulging and all this crazy stuff and his veins are all like accentuated in black. And then, but he's still saying like, what did you do to me? What was that stuff? And like the human like still holding on is, uh, that's a great scene. It's a great transformation. I guess I just wonder how come some people react to it differently? Like, do you have to be like evil to use the serum correctly? I wonder. I don't think so because I, I think that guy was sort of losing his humanity when he was like, mm-hmm. you know, what the fuck did you do to me? Um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, it's that's true though because there's some people that are completely out of it, and there are other people that are very cognizant and they're talking they're like, "I will get you," <laughs> you know. And there's other people that are just like, Ugh. well, yeah. they mentioned at one point uh, toward the end that they hadn't used it on living people. To that point, they had only been. Right, he was still living. They were experimenting. Yeah, it was still very in the experimental stages. They were using it on dead so- enemy soldiers. I guess we're talking about Captain Waffner mostly. Yeah. So, but so right. So the guy in the American uh, party was the first living person to get it, and then when well, Waffner no, he was dead. Gets it. Waffner's oh, the true. Waf- he technically Waffner but he is just the died. first living person. He died and came back. Yeah. Waffner was the only guy who injected it while alive. 
And then, obviously, we have the classic hero ending where the second person to inject it while alive is our, is our Wyatt Russell. He suicides himself, which is a very, like, Hollywood blockbuster uh, kind of thing to do is, like, the... You know, one of the the hateable heroes, the vulnerable uh, bad guy or gruff drifter guy uh, takes one. He falls on his sword so that everyone else can live. It's very Hollywood blockbuster. But yeah, I like he, the, he Bruce Willis's himself at the end of Armageddon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a classic trope. I loved yeah. that the character four did that. That's Russell Jr. The whole movie, <laughs> it's not out of nowhere. The whole movie, he's just like, he's about the mission. And that's a classic war trope thing. Like the guy that's like, we can't get distracted by damsels in distress and kidnapped babies and things like this. We have to stick to the mission. Whether you, you know, the only thing that matters even beyond your own life is is the mission accomplishing the mission so he gets that classic scene uh later in the movie where you know he he's gives himself entirely to the successful completion of the mission i mean that's uh that's 101 you had mentioned that the main character uh you know was infatuated with chloe uh eyes was i i thought chloe was very charming pretty fine maybe uh <laughs> I mean, mommy of the week. I mean, we don't. I, I feel like the contention for mommy of the week. This, wow, I don't. Yeah, this week that's... is. I mean, it's. There's not any really standout mommy to me. I don't know about that. Elizabeth Pena. <laughs> yeah, those boobies <laughs> out for like the whole movie. As I think about the movie, I keep thinking about other like death scenes of characters. The landmine death scene gets me every single <laughs> time. Regardless of how many times I've watched the movie, every single time I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, the first half of the movie is very, very good. Like before there's even zombies or anything, it's just a good war movie. Uh, landmine scenes and all the whole dynamic. There's, there's lots of grenade action. Uh, there's some sort of like mouth grenade The mouth grenade. Thing. That's toward the end. Yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> I love that whole sequence. Yeah, there's like lots of that stuff. Like any any weapon that can be utilized in war is used in this, and including uh, like Nazi zombies. Like I've I've heard of this type of thing before in like folklore of World War II. That you know you know the microphones that we're speaking on, and like a lot of the gear we have here in the studio is Nazi <laughs> Germany engineered. Like, if you think of it, like Neumann and uh, there's, like, there's like tons of um, microphones and all that stuff because Hitler wanted to project his voice to many people. So he had all these scientists on everything, like state-of-the-art sound equipment so that uh, everyone could hear him and he could spread his propaganda. So, you know, the fact that this movie is based around the the scientists discovering how to you know, reanimate people to fight in the war, I thought was believable and interesting, kind of, you know. The one the one thing that I, I missed, and maybe you guys caught it, I didn't have time to go watch it a second time, but at some point when Waffner is talking about, I think it's in the final, like, battle, perhaps, he's talking about the serum being derived from, like, tar flowing under the streets. Did I miss, like, a previous sequence where he, like, explained that or someone explained that? Maybe the little weenie Nazi doctor that was doing this? It's like the unobtainium from Avatar. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, the second movie for our Warrior Week is 1990's Jacob's Ladder, directed by Adrian Lin, starring a very handsome Tim Robbins. Mm. And it tells the story of Tim Robbins as Jacob Singer, a Vietnam vet who experienced some bad shit, as many Vietnam vets did. He's now back home, recovering from a pretty brutal injury that he suffered For some reason, he's decided to be a mail carrier because, you know, that's not stressful. And he feels as though he's starting to lose his grip on reality. He has an ex-wife that he is dealing with some guilt from, a new girlfriend that seems like the relationship is a little emotionally volatile. And people around him just suddenly start to turn into monsters. So this is a classic. I hadn't seen this one in quite a long time. I was happy that we had the war episode and when Dave... Just jumped all over Overlord. I was like, fuck. All right, we're going to all watch Jacob's Ladder again. I hope this holds up. I think it does hold up very well. It's a, it's a really good movie. I think the fact that a lot of people pulled influence from it after 1990, and this was not a big box office smash, I think it, it could serve to dampen the glow looking back on Jacob's Ladder. I don't think it does. I actually find this to be uh, still a superior movie to even a lot of the inspiration or a lot of the movies that it inspired later on. I thought this was great. I thought it was scary. I thought it was super emotional. Um, Kat, what did you think of Jacob's Ladder? Well, uh, I liked it. It was definitely a mind fuck for sure. Uh, I did I have any idea what was going on for most of it? Not really. Uh, kind of, maybe. I feel like I thought I knew what was going on and then something would happen. And I was like, okay, we'll throw that one out the window. Um, but I was just like second guessing everything, trying to figure it out. Uh, everything was confusing, but also stressful, which is good in a horror movie. If I'm stressed out, usually it means it's probably probably pretty good. Um Honestly, whenever someone is admitted to a psych ward or anything like against their will in a movie, I'm instantly like, nope, I hate it. But it was, you know, well done, obviously. Um, The ending was great. Um, I think I thought I thought I saw it coming, but then I did it. It was just I think what I need to do is stop trying to guess the ending of the movies like while I'm watching it and just kind of enjoy the moment and maybe I'll enjoy the film more because this was one of those movies that I definitely was just the whole time just trying to figure out what the fuck was going on. Um, but yeah, it was, it's definitely that moment where I had never seen it before. So um, I saw, you know, the ending as like, oh, that's a trope, blah, blah, blah. But like, no, this is probably like one of the first ones where it's like, oh, the whole time it was that. Oh, but I thought it was kind of cliche. But looking back, it's like, no, that was like the first one that did it. Um, but Tim Robbins, such a little cutie in this movie with his little glasses and his little butt just walking around. I was very happy. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice his butt once. Well, that's where he poops, you know. That's the difference between me and you, Daves. I'm always looking at the butts. Uh, but I was very happy to ogle him for a full two hours. I think my favorite thing about this movie was definitely how well the um, the flashbacks were done and like how well they were like integrated into the scenes. The scenes like were cut were always like on point and jolted you like into the moment. Um, also, I really liked the uh, big old, big old uh, winged beast that was fucking slash killing Jezebel. Maybe both. Me next. Dancing. 
I loved it. Anyway, great. Well, this is a great week. I was very happy uh, to watch both of these movies. Well, first of all, the Tim Robbins boners are a wild take. Um, I, I like Tim Robbins, but I like I think of him so like I don't. I'm not looking at his butt, and I think I'm pretty open to whatever. If someone's got a good butt, like mm-hmm. that's cool, like whatever. But uh, he 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 was. He he was endearing. He was earnest. He was charming. In this movie. He was charming. He was very good. I think this is one of his early roles. Um, I really liked him in this. Um, you know the way that like Creed and like Nickelback ruined Alice in Chains. I feel like this movie suffers from that because so mo- many movies came after this. Um, it's kind of a standardized plot uh, in the later '90s, where you have this. Um, twist at the end that makes you kind of reflect on everything you had previously watched throughout the movie and kind of reassess it um but it's been done so much that it's been kind of cheapened when you watch it again now and like you guys had mentioned uh keeping in mind this is the one of the first times this had happened and like you know the the glitchy twitchy heads and the no face people uh, this is one of the first times that had happened, and yeah, and um, I, it's very well done in this, and a lot of the like obstruction of vision uh, shots in this are really cool because uh, you don't know quite what you see, and it leaves a lot to the imagination. And I think that's why this movie's scary, but it's very much a psychological drama. Um, I I think that it's about uh was it is it BZ or BT the the government drug BZ um so you wonder if it's about that or if it's about you know like uh I I don't know about the spoiler or whatever this movie is a million years old but um uh, but I feel like I feel like it's it's one that I bet a lot of people still well, would not have seen. Well, the title of the movie is a spoiler. Because yeah, Jacob enough. Ladder is the purgatory uh, or the journey on the way to heaven, uh, which this movie is, is, is a reflection of uh, life and regrets and guilt um, and PTSD from war, uh, from... A traumatic event, uh, and it, it just—it's manifesting. I feel like it's—it it actually has a happy ending for a horror movie, and I didn't hate it. Um, I thought the ending was like super depressing, and I will get to this. But I love this movie. I think this is uh, this was a great pick, Kevin. This is a um, underrated movie of its day. I think it's appreciated more now. But at the time, this movie was not, I don't think, uh, as appreciated as it should be. I loved this. This is on HBO Max right now. Um, there are so many levels to this movie, and there are, like, multiple twists. And, you know, we, we could spoil it. I'm going to try not to, but I don't think it matters that much. But first off, this cast, you have Tim Robbins, 15 years old. He's, uh, like, so... <laughs> Wet behind the ears. You have Danny Aiello, great character actor from the 80s and 90s, big fan. You have Jason Alexander. Mm. Uh, who was, have you guys, I was wondering if, have you guys seen The Burning, anyone? 
Mm-mm. Yes, yeah, the 80s movie that he did. Old 80s slasher yeah. that Jason Alexander yeah, is Yeah, actually, also I had a kid at work recommend it to me based on, he listens to the podcast and was like, you know, I, I just checked out this uh, 80s slasher movie called The Burning. I think you'll like it a lot. I mean, this kid's like 23 years old. Aww. So I was like, hell yeah. And I immediately watched it. Love it. And Jason Alexander is a baby in it. Yeah, so he's no stranger to horror. Um, you have Eric LaSalle, is it, from ER? You guys remember Eric, Eric LaSalle? LaSalle from ER? I don't. Yep. I oh, yeah. ER. Oh, man. He had such a great character on that show. That's. I think he's one of the most memorable parts of that show. You have Louis Black is in this. The comedian. The old, Very young. Angry Very guy. Very young comedian. Louis Black. Very young. You have Macaulay Culkin. Super tiny, <laughs> and, baby. Like, it's just, it's one. Uncredited. I know. Uncredited? I didn't even oh. remember that. I didn't remember most of these actors being in this. Um, you have... Vin Grames. Mm-hmm. It's not, I mean, we could just go down the, the whole list. It's like amazing. Um, and the um, the director, I'm sorry, it's, uh, is it Sydney? Adrian Lane or Adrian Lynn? Oh, Adrian Lynn. Um, he directed Flashdance, Indecent Proposal, Basic Instinct, like a bunch of blockbuster 80s movies. Fatal Attraction, Fatal dude. Fatal Attraction, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, Fatal Attraction, not Basic Instinct. Right. Basic Instinct was the later version of Fatal Attraction. Right. So you have just a, a amazing pedigrees all around. And um, I thought that this movie was a sad ending at the end. Like, the, the way that the... the Are we going to spoil? Um, I'm going to try not to, but... you know, <laughs> Tell people to stop listening. We could just talk like adults. <laughs> I, try, I, don't, I don't like when we tell people to stop listening to the podcast. It's like, it's like, Fuck uh, you. We don't want you don't, as fans. Don't listen. Get out of here. Don't uh, listen to us. Turn it off. Hey. We want to murder you. Hey. Anyway, I felt like there was a lot of um, implication, and I'd like to hear what you guys think about this. There was sort of an, an implication that at the end of life, um, you're left like thinking about the possibilities of life that you didn't do, that you didn't experience. It's like there, there's this sort of whole thing where like you're, you're dying or you're at the end of your life and you're just thinking about unexplored possibilities that didn't happen. In that life, like, isn't that like, isn't like that kind guilt of what was, was a waste of time? Is what it says to me. What is it? Guilt was a waste of time. Like your whole life, you're yes. guilty. You're gonna you're gonna reckon with all that at the end. I mean, Danny Aiello gives a speech. He's his chiropractor, oddly enough, and his like biggest confidant. He gives like the legendary speech that explains, I think, the entire movie. I did look up um, a chiropractor after watching it today i was like you know what i need to go to a chiropractor so that's one good thing slash that came therapist out of it too. yeah well that was the other weird thing it's like how is this this chiropractor just solves all of your problems like i thought that part was kind of weird so i was like not really trusting him because he's like i gotta see my doctor he's like in the hospital he's like i need my chiropractor i'm like what you got plenty of doctors around you to help you out like why do you need this one dude but the chiropractors are cool Apparently, I had a chiropractor at one point. It's just satisfying. It's like you can tell something's happening, mm-hmm. which some doctor visits you don't really know if anything's happening. I can crack my back, but I don't. Oh, nice. uh, I feel like the chiropractor is like a thing that once you start, you can't stop. Now you just have somebody popping you all the time. Nice. Right. And now you're just like doing that. I don't know. Is it really medicine, Kevin? 
Is it medicine? Are they doctors? Yeah, I don't think chiropractors are doctors. I don't want to get like controversial and political on here. But I will. I, I will say that uh, on in every single scene that Danny Aiello, Aiello as Louis was in, he had real chiropractors on scene that were coaching him to make it look authentic, <laughs> wow. and that the movie was praised by many chiropractors after for actually making it look like Danny Aiello knew what the hell he was doing. Mm. Is a dentist a doctor? Yes, a dentist is a doctor. Yes. What's the difference between a tooth and a bone? I don't know. A well, tooth I think is a bone. I've gone is to a manicurist, a, a doctor, not been hooked. Well, no, no, no. You don't have to go to medical That's school. It's offensive. To manicurists? Canceled. <laughs> I was disappointed there was no um, there was no Credence Clearwater revival in this movie. This movie could have used like a Credence. Anytime you do Vietnam, you do old Vietnam That's scenes. That's true. Susie Q. Right, because the in war apocalypse now. The war angle of this right is is Jacob's experience in Vietnam, and this would have been ripe. Yeah, to drop in um, Fortunate Son or something like that, like Skull Island. I thought right. this this also had a Skull Island vibe, similar to Overlord. And you could have done that in this. I thought the special effects were great in this. All practical, mm. very mm-hmm. like uh, cosmic horror, very body horror, very H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah, very like the Lovecraft. Descent, yeah. Uh, the the deterioration of the character, the main character. Yes, and his mental state and, and he's seeing, hallucinations. Um, yeah, now he's seeing like tentacles and. Apparently, like Lynn's commentary says that test screenings were too. His words were overwhelming for audiences. So like the shaky head and as things were kind of like ramping up. So they cut 20 minutes of disturbing scenes of this, most from the final act. I and read that. I, I don't know that. of a version that exists where that was put back in. I watched deleted scary scenes from this movie. Oh, really? Yeah, there's a good yeah. YouTube documentary called Building Jacob's Ladder. It's like 26 minutes long. Huh. And they put a bunch of great deleted scenes in that. If you just put deleted scenes into you- YouTube with Jacob's Ladder, you get all kinds of stuff too and sick and it's it's great i I thought the all the effects are super in both of these movies um i think that's part of the thing when you do uh war horror or war drama or whatever it has to have realism in it because war is real and it's a thing that happens to people and like you know you think back about people getting drafted and the fear of like being thrown into a war it's different than when you volunteer and you're like, I want to go to war. <laughs> but, you know, when you just get put into war because of your your age or whatever, when you get drafted, uh, that fear is a whole other level. And I think making sure it's realistic uh, makes it so much more scary. And I wish there were more war movies. There's not that many. Um, I want to be real with you and, and share a piece of information i can't do one push-up not really? one push-up. i can't do a single push-up not even the um not even version? not even knees, knees down i can't oh come I on can't. Give i'm us not one. i can't to right now to, i'm gonna have give to us see one. i'm right telling now. you Drop. you do can it. do it with i the, can't with the knees you can do it this is a plush carpet are we talking about Jacob's Ladder or Full Cat's Metal Jacket? Cat's going to do a, a push-up Yeah, Full Metal Jacket would have been a good, good contender, but we've been Stanley Kubricking out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Yeah, Looking good. Go. Nice form. There One. you go. There you go. Oh, wait, she's down, but she... Oh, she oh, didn't go back come up. come on. <laughs> <laughs> Private pile. <laughs> well, guys, I brought some BZ. 
I talked to uh, a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy, and I brought some of the uh, hyper-aggressive hallucinogenic drug oh, that they do in this movie that Jacob's character does. Um, I thought that it did a great job of uh, bringing that sort of like hallucinogenic crazy feeling to the viewer the whole movie you never like there's so many scenes where you're disoriented and time because of the way the story jumps back and forth between jacob's experience in the war and his experience now and like this sort of like you don't know what time you're in like if what scenes are before the war what scenes are after um he's sort of like going back and forth um in his visions between like different parts of his life um, so you you never have a clear sense. You sort of feel like you're you know hallucinating and you're disoriented. And I and I think that that scene where he gets wheeled down into the um, basement of the hospital, that's like a, one of the most classic. I've never forgotten that scene. I think I saw this at the theater, but that scene where he where Jacob's getting wheeled and, and the whole time he's getting wheeled around the halls and the hospital is getting like darker and more wet and, and like, like just trash on the floor <laughs> and he's getting like deeper underground and then there's like a body like, wait, what? And then there's body parts and there's blood everywhere. Like that is so scary. I think that's mm-hmm. uh, that's like canon genre horror stuff. Yeah, it's been replicated so many times. So oh, many yeah, music the, videos, the flashing so face many, person. you know, yeah. tributes to that scene. But I, I'm with you. I did not see this in the theater for sure. But I literally, as soon as that scene started, I could have narrated it from start to finish because I remember it so vividly just from the first time I ever saw this movie. To me, the, the scariest part is like the car driving away and the really mysterious face. Uh, it's just like you can't see the whole face. It's uh, lack of face is what's scary in this movie. It's one of the first times they did that. I know they did it later, like, you know, in the Matrix, we had no mouth and all that stuff. But like the no face, this is kind of a, a new thing in horror to scare people. And it was very subtle and very great. Uh, I loved all the gore in this movie and all the just the disturbing images. That's more what it is. And when you have something like PTSD or hallucinations from experimental government drugs or whatever, uh, it allows you to make a really weird horror movie and uh, to scare people in different unorthodox ways. Um, and I loved it. I accepted it. I liked, I liked the ending. Even though it's a little cliche now, it's a little standardized. Um, I still think it's the goat of this kind of movie. I didn't really think of that. That's a good point, though. It's been done... uh, Some of the things that this movie does have been done a lot since this movie. So it was nice to see it, like, out of context, having not seen it in a long time. You guys mentioned the um, crazy moving head thing. That I feel like that's in every, you know... That's a thing now where you, like, shoot someone moving their head around and then you speed up the film or whatever and it looks like they're like having spastic head movements it's almost like the um every saw movie ever yeah like yeah. it's like the spider um walk from exorcist like it's it, like every nine inch nails video <laughs> it's like every yeah, like yeah. marilyn manson like that's creepy well the mess the messed up thing is this movie could have been made 10 years earlier so the guy that wrote it bruce joel rubin who who also had another 1990 movie come out Slightly different from Jacob's Ladder. It was called Ghost. <gasps> oh, right. What? He wrote Ghost. Yeah. And he would win the Academy Award for that screenplay. But he wrote Jacob's Ladder in 1980. 
and it took 10 years shopping it around to studios. Even a director named Ridley Scott wanted to make it and couldn't get a director or couldn't get a studio to pick it up. Uh, at one point, Jacob was going to be Tom Hanks. And then what? Adrian Lin was in talks to direct with Hanks. Lin ultimately turned down a movie called The Bonfire of the Vanities to do Jacob's Ladder. Tom Hanks turned down Jacob's Ladder to go star in Bonfire of the Vanities. This is how we ended up with Tim Robbins. And we've also forgot to talk about, I think, a contender for Mommy of the Week. That's Elizabeth Pena as Jesse, as Tim Robbins' girlfriend mm-hmm. in, in the movie, the post-Vietnam portion of the movie. And also, I do have to say that I would warn people that are Macaulay Culkin fans, or at least they know Macaulay Culkin, particularly from Home Alone, I was so disarmed and burst out laughing when Tim Robbins is laying in bed like shirtless and he goes, uh, Jesse is going through these old sentimental photos that somebody dropped off of his ex-wife and their children and he's just like shirtless and pulls up a picture of his son and it's this like goofy picture of Macaulay Culkin. I burst out laughing, couldn't stop laughing. I had to pause the movie and like regain composure (laughs) for what should have been just a normal sentimental scene but it's because all I could picture was Kevin McAllister putting <laughs> uh, aftershave lotion on his face yep. and doing the classic Kevin McAllister. Didn't you guys think, without getting too spoilery, didn't you guys think that Jacob ultimately was more invested in um, a, a life that could have happened than the life that did happen? And I'm not 100% clear. I think the, the ending leaves, uh, I think quite a bit of uh, ambiguity but wasn't Jacob like wasn't he totally obsessed with an imaginary life and not his own he had three kids and they're hardly in the movie well the thing that gets confusing is who else is in purgatory right yeah of his friends from Vietnam I mean is Jezebel because Mm -hmm. that's his new wife right uh, after this traumatic uh, event you know Mm -hmm. Um, but um, so there's all these like new factors and these other people, and you don't know exactly what their deal is if they're in purgatory. True, or... yeah, true. That's the confusing thing. It's like I it definitely deserves a rewatch on my end for sure because you know all of that changes everything. Like what was happen? Like did anything matter? Like the whole time? Like was he actually in purgatory? Was it just like in his mind? I don't know. It's I'm excited to give it another watch and try to figure it out. But. There's a lot of questions, yeah. And there are a, a number of times where it upends on you. It's mm-hmm. not just the end. Even like halfway through the movie, you get a, a major upend and you're like, what in the hell is going on? <laughs> like, what's real? What's not? It doesn't really answer, I, I feel like, a lot of those questions. So writer Bruce Joel Rubin has talked about how he had a bunch of inspirations for this. A big one was the Tibetan Book of the Dead which also inspired Enter the Void, a 2009 Gaspar Noe movie that I'm guessing Dave has seen. And a lot of a lot of music videos and stuff like that. There's so many music videos that give like props to, to Jacob's Ladder. I stopped listing them. Um, it does, in fact, have links to LSD. So Bruce R- Joel Rubin was reading The Psychedelic Experience, a 1964 book by Timothy Leary, Ralph Metzner, Richard Alpert, which... Richard Alpert has like the Be Here Now yoga book, but it's also like one of the world's biggest scholars um, giving props to psychedelic drugs and thinking everyone should do them. 
There's the obvious Jacob's Ladder biblical reference, where I won't really give the synopsis there because it'll spoil the movie, but it's Genesis 28, 10 through 19. Um, but there's one that I actually found this short story and read it. So there's an 1890 short story called uh, Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge by Ambrose Bierce, a Civil War veteran. And it's one of the first stories known for having like an irregular time sequence, um, a very original ending, um, and it abandons kind of linear narration in favor of an internal mind of the protagonist, and it's an early example of stream of consciousness narrative mode. It's been remade a bunch of times in different ways. It was an Alfred Hitchcock Presents episode in 1959. A few years later, an adaptation that actually won the Cannes Best Short Film Award was aired as an episode of The Twilight Zone. Um, it, it, all of these things, like I would definitely recommend this short story uh, if you've seen the movie because it's very, very similar to the movie itself. Um, I never knew a bunch of other inspirations. I'm not much of a gamer, but Silent Hill is one of my favorite game series. It's a horror game series, heavily inspired by Jacob's Ladder. And even though it's been quite a few years since I played it, uh, watching the movie and then reading this. Uh, and then there's an uncle song featuring Tom York, which I think we'll all remember, Rabbit in Your Headlights. That, uh, if you listen to the song, read the lyrics, apparently it is uh, a, a total ode to Jacob's Ladder. And Trent, you did a great job with all of the cast in this, but you forgot, forgot a couple that we have to point out. Kyle Gass from Tenacious D shows up in this movie, as does Pruitt Taylor Vince, who is, he's young in this, and it takes a minute to recognize him, but he is the war vet that Jacob goes and meets at a bar that says that he also thinks that there are people after him and he's trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, you'd recognize him as, as a very important character in Identity. He was just in The Devil's Candy that we mentioned um, recently. But uh, I think that's it for all the useless information I dug up on Jacob's Ladder. What about the song Jacob's Ladder by Huey Lewis in the news? You didn't look into that? <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I did. I failed you. We definitely got to drop that. That's, uh, that. That song was supposed to be on the soundtrack for this movie. Are you serious? It was written for the movie. And they that said is no? ridiculous. Yeah. No, it, it was, but I did look into it. That song was actually written by Bruce Hornsby with Bruce Hornsby's brother. And then later, recorded by Huey Lewis. Jacob and his, Hornsby. And then later, uh, Bruce Hornsby worked it back into his set. So no connection whatsoever, but same title. <laughs> Jacob's well, Ladder. <laughs> Kevin, some of wow. us are on uh, hallucinogenic drugs, and we don't really appreciate when you say like, LSD, like with that connotation, with that tone, uh, it makes us feel attacked. The BZ is kicking I didn't realize in. I the did BZ. it that way, so I apologize. I will <laughs> watch BZ my tone from in. now on. I'm feeling aggressive. Like my, <laughs> my head is about to start doing very uh, spastic motions and might go at some of my uh, comrades here. If you weren't in Nashville, I'd eat your face. Mm. I'd like someone to stab me with a bayonet, <laughs> please. Thank you. Uh, that would be a, a noble death, mm. bayonet. <laughs> <laughs> 